rules will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Aaron, this is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tin foil hat, tin foil hat. Yeah, and welcome to another episode of Tin Foil Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to, I'm here to do. Join me as always is XG in the place to be. How are you, XG? Good, good man. We got a good week good. of shows. You got three episodes coming this week because we love you. All of them are unique in their own way. And they're going to be great. Uh, real quick, I just want to talk about the big show next week. Next Tuesday night at the Comedy Store is Absolute Extract, Absolute Extract presents the Comedy Chaos live April 30th at the Comedy Store. Just go to thecomedystore.com. Check out our boys at abx.org. Uh, they have everything you want, the latest in any uh, flower, vape pens, a lip balm weed, you name it, they got it. They are the top shelf of marijuana. They come in and it's like weed Santa every other Tuesday at the comedy <laughs> store. Everybody's leaving with something. Make you feel better about yourself. So please go check out our good friends at abx.org. Without them, this show would not be possible. I also want to thank our good friends at BetDSI. BetDSI, for all your bet needs, just use the promo code HAT100 and you will end... With this code, the customer gets 100% match cash bonus up to $500, and we got everything coming. NBA playoffs are off the hook. Golf is great. UFC. I bet you can make bets on uh, who's going to get drafted. That's this Thursday. All that more at our good friends at BetDSI, BetDSI.com. New t-shirts are up. Also, go to tinfoilhattshirts.com. And you'll be able to get all the t-shirts you want. All the new ones are popping up. Look at that. We got the Arizona one, Samzilla, the Ronin, Clockwork Orange, and more and more being put up every day. Uh, we're going to give you a variety. It's a great way to uh, support the show. And, of course, the Patreon is growing and growing and growing. Go to patreon.com backslash hat. Enjoy the group. Now, before I bring in our guest. Um, I just want to say real quick, on the last episode, I would like to thank Nuno and Sarah at Shukum Films for making the new intro. I didn't play it today because we're figuring out how to run it within the studio. So you can see it. Shukum Films is an international film and video company based in Europe, which operates worldwide. And make sure to check them out at Shukum Films. It's S-K-U-O-O-K-U-M dash films.com and you can contact them and ask them for a free quote for any of your video needs also check out sarah's website at sarah b mora m-o-u-r-a.com where you can get her uh her uh make comedy offensive again hat which i really love uh nuno is a award-winning award-winning filmmaker and we will have him on the show very soon and 
Shukum is another name for Bigfoot. Uh, coincidentally, that is the uh, theme of today's show, an episode uh, which they helped uh, make happen by getting in touch with our guest today. And our guest today is, I'm very excited about it, um, which is great because I opened up every single one. He is a professor of anatomy and anthropology uh, at the Department of Biological Science at Idaho State University. Please welcome Dr. Jeff Meldrum. How are you, Jeff? Great. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. We've uh, worked hard to get you on, and now we got a little time. Uh, Time restraints. Uh, our, this is going to be a little shorter episode, but we're going to get into it. Jeff, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, why do you? How did you get into the Bigfoot business? Right. Well, as you said, my uh, my day job, if you will, is teaching human growth anatomy in the health professions programs, and I also research questions relating to uh, the evolution of human bipedalism, how it is we came to walk on two legs. And that's kind of the nexus point. That's where uh, the interest in another bipedal primate uh, came into focus. So uh, as an academic, this involved me literally crossing paths with a, a long line of tracks left presumably ostensibly by a Sasquatch. And the more I scrutinized them, the more I examined them, investigated them, the more convinced I was that, yeah, this was the real deal. That was in 1996, and now some 20, what, two years later, three years later, I've got over 300 examples of footprint casts from all over the world, in fact, in my lab. That's been the one of the principal pieces of evidence that has uh, focused my attention. Are there any serious, seriously credible uh, anthropologists uh, doing research about Sasquatch right now? Well, there, there are a few of us that are uh, openly and actively doing that. There, one of my uh, closer colleagues was Dr. John Bindernagel, who unfortunately passed away here shortly, less than a year ago. He was a wildlife biologist in uh, British Columbia, Canada, in, in semi-retirement. Um, I work behind the scenes with a lot of academics, though. I, I edit uh, a, a online scholarly journal, which is a, a great... Uh, means by which I can uh, sort of recruit uh, <clears throat> uh, other academics to either submit original research or to review and comment upon others' research. And it provides a great platform for the uh, promoting of the discussion of this when, uh, you know, normal channels of scientific discourse are sometimes less open to the possibility, less willing to... Uh, to devote time and uh, space to the discussion of these questions, which they see as less than meritorious, I guess you'd say. What would we, if we had to categorize what Bigfoot is, we've heard a lot of different discussions. I've heard people say, oh, it might just be a bear, bear that's wounded and it's walking upright. Uh, some might say it's an Armenian who's lost in the forest. <laughs> Um, something it's a, a time traveling interdimensional being. What if you had to say what is what is a what is Bigfoot? Right. Well, you've touched on quite a few of the, the various <laughs> propositions, and and we could add even more and even something more outlandish than those. Um, I'm approaching this as a. Oops, sorry about that. That's all I'm right. Approaching... I love I love our landlines. 
I'm approaching this as a as a biologist, as a as an anthropologist first and foremost, and so and so uh, you know according to the the strictures of of the scientific method, we have to start with the the simplest explanation first, the persistent one, and uh, start with that first, and then then we can then we can go to more complicated ones, and so so we first have to do that. Turn that down. It's fine. It's all good. Okay. So we expect that on the show. <laughs> yeah. I, <that's> that. <laughs> but and, and so basically, it, it, it boils down to a question of, you know, where does it fit in? Is there a context? Do you have to resort to some extraordinary explanation of something dropping out of the ether? And I don't think you do. I mean, we were learning that our, our family tree was very complicated. It was very bushy. Just recently, there was the discovery of another species to add to that family tree, uh, a species of excuse me, a species of diminutive hominin in, in the Philippines that was only about three to four feet tall, and that's just one more branch on this very bushy, bushy family tree, and several of those branches have persisted until more recently than we would have ever acknowledged just twenty years ago, and so I think that's what Sasquatch is. I think is one of the branches of that tree that is uh, on this planet living right alongside us, but being very rare, very elusive, very reclusive. And as such, it has escaped recognition. I mean, we didn't discover the mountain gorilla until until the 20th century. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that something could have escaped our attention until this point. There are giant, giant forests and jungles which we've never really explored at all. And we find... We actually find civilizations of just human beings, like tribes that we've never seen before, never heard before, didn't know they existed until recently. I think they just found a new tribe in uh, South America that they didn't know existed. And what are there different realms? So anything is possible. I mean, like we just like as we go deeper into the ocean, we find more and more we uh, exotic sea life that we didn't even know existed just like stuff that's from sci-fi and even our nightmares you're like oh my god that's that's on this planet that's mind-blowing um so i could see how this could could happen we just found uh another i forget the name of the species of animal but it was supposed to be extinct and then this fox just came out of nowhere i think it was and it, it was back and it's the world is such an insane mystery would you sure. say would you say that Sasquatch, Yeti, and Bigfoot are the same thing? Or no, no, I th- I think that they would represent different branches. Oh, really? Tree. So yeah, on I mean, my expertise is the foot, the footprints, uh, and um, and you know the adaptations exhibited there. For example, if you look at the Sasquatch foot, it has a non-divergent big toe. And uh, it has a, uh, retains a rather flexible midfoot, but it superficially more resembles a human foot. There you go. The, the Yeti footprint, on the other hand, looks essentially like a, a chunky chimpanzee. I mean, it just it has a stocky, uh, uh, divergent big toe with um, shorter lateral toes. But it clearly retains those adaptations for tree climbing that we find in the other great apes. We could turn to Russia, where the reports of the Almas, the Almasti, the Kaptar, um, these descriptions are much more human-like in many respects. They're covered with hair from head to toe, 
but they they have behaviors and anatomies, including the foot, which has an arch, which has a, a broad but arched foot that uh, is very reminiscent of <clears throat> footprints we associate with Neanderthals from cave sites in Europe. So um, it's possible that there are multiple branches on this this bushy tree that have persisted into the into the very recent past. Have you been pulled <clears throat> called into some places and just been shocked by what you've heard? Like I, I'm sure there are some people call you in that's let's aren't that credible, and you you gotta go. Okay, I'm not. This doesn't seem like a, a you know a um, a journey I want to go down to investigate. But have there been some where you're just like, wow, where this is like gold. We've hit the mother load of what we're discovering. Are there any instances that really stand out in your, your head? Oh, sure. I mean, one, one that was, was just uh, very resoundingly confirming in my mind was when I had the chance to go to China. The Chinese have traditions about a Sasquatch-like creature, remarkably similar in description and in the footprints that they leave, and called the Yeren, the the wild man, literally. And uh, uh, one witness that we were able to interview had in uh, wrapped up in his little suitcase some footprint cast that he had made. And once they had everything set, the cameras rolling so they could capture my <laughs> initial reaction, he, he unveils these and lifts them out. And I, I was just flabbergasted because they were almost identical to some examples of footprints that I was very familiar with here from from North America, from California in particular. In fact, those that were associated with the the notorious Patterson-Gimlin film, that piece of footage you, you've probably seen, if you've seen a, a video of, or a film of Bigfoot, that one is the preeminent example. And here, here was an example on the other side of the Pacific that not only showed the same size, shape, proportions, but details of the anatomy as reflected in in this distinctive, what, what we call the mid-tarsal pressure ridge, a feature that uh, is indicative of the uh, flexibility retained in this foot. Now, how this guy could have faked this? I mean, if, if this, if you're going to resort to that, you know, he had no knowledge of the Sasquatch. He had no access to, to Western television uh, and all the documentaries and, and so forth that that are available here that might have, uh, you know, informed him of what to incorporate into a hoax. And yet, here we have these these two examples that were remarkably um, convergent. That, that was pretty uh, astounding to me. And yet, unfortunately, it, it, it bounces off the facade of the, uh, you know, existing paradigms in anthropology and, and hardly makes an impact. It's not a very visible one. I, I find that anything that doesn't follow the status quo gets dismissed instantly. Anything that doesn't allow our paradigms of what we've been trained or brainwashed into believing gets dismissed instantly. If it's a video, it gets dismissed. If it's a picture, it's a Photoshop. It's just, you know, if it doesn't fit within the realms of the laws of physics or anything like that, even though we see stuff over and over and over again, that lets you know this is such a complex 
universe we live in, if it's not the status quo, they don't want to hear about it. And if you preach status quo, you get pushed forward and celebrated as the guy who's telling us what we already know. Yay! They really love that. Um, I know that you focus more on the foot and the footprint. What I would like to know are what are some of the characteristics of a Bigfoot that might stand out that makes him different than either of a, a mountain gorilla or a bear and a humanoid or a human of any sorts? What makes it different than everybody from size to how they walk or anything unusual about that? Right. Well, yes, superficially, they, they resemble us in their upright posture and, uh, and their habit of walking on two legs. They show adaptations for that that are similar to those in in humans. For example, elongation of the of the uh, hind limbs, uh, not to the extent we see in most humans today, but but nevertheless. Uh, likewise, as I pointed out, they have that non-divergent big toe that uh, is also a hallmark of bipedalism. But you know, at that point, the resemblances kind of stop. Because otherwise, then they look like essentially like a a, a great ape. Like a, they're covered with hair. They have a smaller brain capacity. They have these remarkably heavy, deep jaws uh, with squared off teeth. In that respect, they're they're more hominin-like, I guess, because the great apes, uh, you know, present these long canines. You know, it's kind of interesting when. When uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film was first viewed by some of the experts at the Smithsonian Institute back in 1967, 68, they, uh, one of the more open-minded ones, admittedly more open-minded ones, still said he had trouble because when you looked at it from the waist up, it looks like an ape, essentially like a gorilla with long legs like a typical human. And he said, it's almost inconceivable in my mind, he said, that, that such a combination of traits would exist in nature it just went against as you said earlier against the status quo against the paradigm and on that basis largely he rejected he said it has to be fake well it's interesting because had he waited he he made those pronouncements in a book that he published to his credit he at least took the time and effort to really research it and wrote a very interesting book for its time back in about 19072 i think it was if he'd waited just a few more years uh, he would have witnessed the discovery of the uh, famous Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis, one of these early, upright-walking, bipedal, hominid ancestors. And yet, uh, how did the popular press describe her? From the waist up, she looks essentially like a chimpanzee. From the waist down, she looks like a little hairy human. Isn't it interesting how these unexpected uh, combinations of characteristics are found in these early bipedal hominids. Well, now, wait a minute. Just five years ago, that was the basis for this researcher, John Napier, to reject the Patterson-Gimlin film and the existence of Sasquatch almost outright. And yet, if he had, you know, what, what would, how would his book have turned out if he'd waited a decade later to write that, you know? Uh, and that's, that's one of the interesting things is... For sure. Sa- Sasquatch, you know, if I took a picture like you just posted... If I took that picture from the Patterson-Gimlin film and used that to illustrate an early, robust australopithecine, uh, disregarding the size, but just the appearance of it, I could stick it in an introductory anthropology text and most people wouldn't bat an eye if they weren't familiar with where that picture came from. 
But that brings up another point in asking for a description. You know, that that female Bigfoot there from Northern California is estimated to be just under seven feet in height, probably oh. weighing about <laughs> 600 to 800 pounds. Shots and tits on her. You know, yeah, it, sounds like, it sounds like it looks like Zion Williams. They're just like <laughs> six, seven, three hundred. <laughs> yeah. Well, double that weight. Yeah. If you have male with a 16 inch, her foot was just over 14 and a half to 15 inches. Uh, a male foot is probably between 16 to 18 inches in length, probably stands upwards of eight and a half feet in height and probably weighs anywhere from, you know, a thousand to twelve hundred pounds. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. So, and, you know, that's like, that's like a moose. Yeah. You, know, you imagine a moose standing up and walking across that sandbar. So uh, it's it's you, obviously a, I mean, like we're talking eight hundred to twelve hundred pounds. How do yeah. do we know anything about how it eats, how it hunts? Is it is it a carnivore? Is it a uh, you know is it a vegan hipster? <laughs> you know, like what 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 do we know about its eating patterns? Does it hunt in packs? Does it hunt by itself? Have we ever seen any of these these uh, beings in a pack together, working together, like we've saw th- through you know human history and in the animal kingdom? Right. Well, the vast majority of sightings and footprint finds would suggest solitary individuals. And that's, I, I suspect, is the, is the, the prevalent uh, you know, status of these creatures. Their social structure is, is semi-solitary, and they probably only I- interact on rare occasions. But as you point out, some people have indicated uh, occasions where there have been multiples, more than one. And I suspect that's probably, uh, you know, a male and a female, a female that may have some dependent offspring, but enough time has transpired. She's ready to, you know, hook up with the, the bow on the block here again. And so they may have seen kind of a transient family group, if you will, or social group. Um, as far as their diet, you know, based on the eyewitness reports, they seem to be omnivores. That is, they eat everything from roots and berries right on up to deer and elk. Uh, and, uh, and, and that would make sense given, given the, their size and, and their, uh, their evolutionary history. I mean, derived from uh, another large ape probably of some form or an early hominin that uh, it had included more meat in its diet. So, yeah, it... Uh, uh, you know, they probably have to forage over a wide range in order to find sufficient resources to support that bulk. But it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Like I said, there are other animals, uh, big brown bears, grizzly bears, uh, deer, elk, moose that uh, are pushing the limits of that body mass, that size. And, and there's an advantage to being bigger. When you're larger like that, you can get by on um, less rich foodstuffs. Because your large size allows for more surface area for digestion and, and um, absorption and uh, uh, a, a slower gut passage time to allow for those things to be properly digested. So the ecology is there. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we, we went, went, go back to that notion of context. Um, you you don't have to. You don't have to put on a tinfoil hat in order to imagine. <laughs> but we wouldn't be mad if you did. <laughs> right. But uh, there, they, there's an absolutely sensible, rational explanation 
as a biological species, just one that is extremely rare and smarter than your average bear and able to elude human uh, human contact when they want to. Have I think we, that... With, have we seen what? any uh, evidence of like animals that have been kind of hunted and killed by uh, Bigfoot? Have they found remains of uh, any kind of like battles where like, oh, this animal sustained a scar or a wound that does not fit any of the animals that we know would do like that does not look like a bear attack to me uh, right. this could there has to be something else have we seen any of those there there are things that are suggestive uh you know not definitive or conclusive by any means but for example uh deer kills where the the head has literally been corkscrewed twisted to the point that the cervical vertebrae are fractured which is uh, is not the way you know uh, most animals, uh, most predators, so common predators. Dispatch. You're talking it snap. It's like it, what Bruce Lee used to do to all the bad guys in the dojo. Yeah. And he would just go like that, just twisting the neck. Yeah, to the point that the the, the neck vertebrae break. Yeah. Holy so that's, cow, that's, dude! That's one possibility. There's other signs. I mean, for example, up in in British Columbia in the Pacific Northwest, one of the names applied to this is is the eater of cockles they they these shellfish and they'll find they'll find on the beach piles of the shucked shells uh that they've gone through which no other animal does i mean no other animal except humans for that matter i guess piles them up like this so uh yeah there are there's some indirect evidence that points to some of the things that they that they very likely eat. Um, one famous account, a witness watched a Sasquatch digging through a tailless pile, you know, that slope of loose rock. And as uh, he'd lift a rock up and smell the undersurface, stack it over to the side. And then when he got sent, he just started pulling rocks out right and left until he dug a six foot hole and came up with a grass nest from which he extricated uh, a sleeping rodent. And ate it like a hot dog, just a hole, biting it right down. So, well, look what it did uh, to very that deer. So, can we look at this picture real quick? Look at yeah. This one. No, oh, look yeah. at that one. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. Man, nature could be but, violent, huh? Man. Well, sure. I mean, if you have, you know, if you think about it, it's said that a chimpanzee has the strength of five men. You know, they can sit and hold themselves up. I've watched a chimpanzee support his weight from the ledge of a window with just one fingertip, basically. You know, so they're capable. If you imagine that a chimp weighing a couple hundred pounds has the strength of five men, how strong, if, if a Sasquatch retains that kind of muscle physiology, how strong would an 800 or 1,000-pound Sasquatch be? I mean, it pulling the haunches off a deer like that, disemboweling it with its fingers, with its hands, wouldn't be an extraordinary feat at all. That would be that'd be like you pulling a pulling the skin off a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I wanna get into uh the discovery of what happened what was just found in the Philippines. But before I do I want to tell you about our good friends at Lucy.co, if you're looking for a, uh, a boost of nicotine that you can enjoy anywhere without inhaling any smoke or vape, check out the powerful, long-lasting flavors of Lucy Gum available at Lucy.co. 
Co. That's Lucy D-O-T. C-O. The product was designed by a team of scientists from Harvard, Stanford, and Caltech who were looking for a cleaner way to consume nicotine than smoking cigarettes and inhaling clouds of a fruity vapor. Lucy is clean nicotine absorbed through the mouth in three delicious flavors. Just chew it for a few times and then let it sit against your gums. Believe me, I chew it like regular gum the first time and the nicotine hit me hard. My head was spinning. Boom. I do it once in a while just to feel dangerous. They got good flavors. They got a bunch They do of have a flavors. bunch of good flavors. Look yeah. at those. It's like, dude, stop smoking cigarettes. It's the number one way to age. If you smoke vape chew, you should consider making a switch to Lucy. Not only does the product give you a nicotine that you want long, along with great flavor, but you can literally use the product anywhere you, chew, you can chew gum. The office, when you're traveling on a plane, Uber or Subway. Or even <laughs> around people who would normally judge you. So use the use the discount code TINFOIL to get $10 off your first purchase at lucy.dotco. That's lucy.co. So thank you uh, to Lucy for sponsoring the show. I want to get into whoa, the recent announcement of the discovery in the Philippines. You had mentioned it earlier. What, what did we find in the Philippines? Well, they found uh, a, a few bits and pieces of bone, some uh, hand bones, finger finger bones, that is, a couple of foot bones. Uh, there was a fragment of a pelvis and a femur, as I, as I recall. Um, they've been uh, attributed to a new species, Homo, and that remains to be seen, if, that, if that's warranted, Homo uh, luzonensis for the island of Luzo in the northern Philippines. It... Uh, probably only stood about three to four feet tall. So it's very reminiscent of uh, Homo floresiensis, just not far away to the uh, west in Indonesia, which also is very, a very small hominin. Um, Luzonensis is, is interesting because the fingers and toes, while they were shortened, they weren't as ape-like as, say, in a chimp or a gorilla. They still are remarkably curved and have very strong markings for the attachments of the, the retaining bands that hold the flexor tendons. In other words, they were powerful. They had a powerful grip, which, which we only find in, uh, in primates that are climbers. So this little three to four foot hominin was, was definitely spending a lot of time climbing in trees. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen whether, whether they had uh, a cranial capacity that was was uh, uh, on par with that of other Homo floresiensis has remained somewhat controversial because even though it's attributed to Homo, it has a brain the size of a chimpanzee. So how so, many how many different types of uh, uh, humans? Uh, how, how many there's so, there's Homo sapiens? How many of those are there? Well, there, yeah. Now, now, in that family group, since the divergence from a common ancestor shared with chimps, there are literally dozens now. And that's the point I was making earlier, is, is we continually add, not quite on an annual basis, but almost a new species every year. And so it has just grown and grown. Uh, so at any, at any slice of time in the past, you, you might have, uh, oh, half a dozen contemporaneous species living across the landscape. If you could jump in a time machine and go back just 30,000 years 
to East Africa, you might encounter Homo heidelbergensis, Homo floresiensis, now Homo luzonensis, Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, um, uh, Homo denisovan, if, if that still eventually will become a distinctive species, which I'm quite sure it will. So there's a half dozen right there. You know, you it's like, uh, who was it? One, one person said it's like the world of the Lord of the Rings. There were all kinds of two-legged creatures walking around the landscape. It's unbelievable. And that raises the question, why, why would the present be the exception to that rule? I don't think it is. And why do people push so hard against it? I just, that's the yeah. weirdest thing. Like, how many times have we been lied to through the media and all this stuff? And even parts of science has straight up BSed us. Yet, this this one thing really in this, you know, in life, isn't going to make your world any better or any worse. Doesn't really have an effect on your on your daily life. Seems to be pushed back so hard. Like, yeah. what what was the first evidence you saw in your own personal life when you were like, okay, this is something, and it's very interesting, and it's not just a fuzzy picture. It's there's more to this. What was the first ev- credible evidence you saw? Well, the uh, the first personal experience I had was was in '96, and as I uh, mentioned, uh, coming face to face with a, a long line of footprints. And that was in southeastern Washington, and, and uh, I was shown those by by a witness. And so, you know, I I was uh, a little dubious and uh, doubtful of the of what what was um, laid before me. But the more I looked at it. Uh, it, it really sank in. I mean, uh, as I looked at the details that were evident there, the animation of this trackway and these individual footprints, it was like, uh, how could this person or any person for that matter have orchestrated this as a hoax? I mean, the, the, the subtleties of anatomy that they would have to have a mastery of, you know, those are only had by, Oh, geez, a dozen academics across the country, maybe a few podiatrists or orthopedic surgeons added to that list. But my experience has been they don't make the transition from human anatomy and pathology to evolutionary morphology very smoothly. So, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a small elite club, if you will, or exclusive. I won't say elite, but exclusive club of people who could pull off that kind of a. Uh, a, a fabrication, and uh, certainly this gentleman didn't have the wherewithal at the time. I mean, I as I was pointing out details of anatomy, you know, it was going right over his head. He did not know what I was talking about, and so that you know that then now combined with the dozens and dozens of remarkable examples that that reiterate and confirm so many of those subtleties. Uh, repeatedly, it's like who's passing out the the little black book of instructions on how to fake a bigfoot track? Yeah. <laughs> but the ones that you have seen that obviously you've been called some places, and you're like, okay, this is unfortunately a hoax. Um, right. How how many how many times that happened to you, and why do you think people would do that? Right. Well. Uh, my experience has been that the majority of superfluous items 
are misidentifications. When oh, you interesting. You alluded to seeing a bear, for example. It's people reading too much or over-interpreting things that they come upon. So, so a pothole that has a, a vaguely oval outline suddenly becomes a footprint. You know, or a bear track that is not as clear and distinct. But those toes sure look look uh, uh, or eye catching. That becomes a bigfoot track. Likewise, as you point out, with so many of the, of the photographs, um, you know, the the term blob squatch uh, has a basis <laughs> in the fact that so many very poor quality, folk, uh, unfocused, uh, sketchy images are attributed to Sasquatch. The overt hoaxes are much less frequent i mean because thankfully most people have better things to do right. <laughs> with their lives you know than those few pathetic uh, individual instances and so uh you know for whatever reason some people take it on as a challenge to try to to try to prove that they can fool someone like me or, uh, or they just get a kick. They get a kick out of the attention that it, it brings to them, um, are motivated to try to do uh, something like this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think most overt hoaxes are quite transparent. And, and it's usually the Bigfoot researchers are the ones that, uh, that expose them for what they are very quickly, as has been the case with a number of, uh, for example, footprint uh, uh, hoaxes in over the past couple of two or three years. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what we see is that there's just people who just mistake infamy for fame. We see people who kind of get off on pulling one over, you know, within the dating uh, website services. It's called catfishing, where like a man will pretend he's a woman and uh, see how long he could go and see how much information you extract from somebody else on the other line. And then right. it's just a weird thing that people get off on. Like, yeah. uh, it's just like some people just enjoy pulling cons. They just enjoy sure. it. And, and they just think it's funny to have somebody come out and do all this, all this stuff and see how far they can go with it. But inevitably it always crashes and burns on these people. And you, you want to feel sorry for him, but part of me just does it because it's really just unnecessary and you're just making some, it's unnecessary and you're just making something that is incredibly hard, even harder. Well, right. And And especially as you, as you point out the reaction of, you know, of, of institutional mainstream science, that simply uh, is throwing uh, gas on the fire. It, it just uh, steals the, the resistance and the rejection as being, you know, this being unorthodox, un, uh, unscientific, because it just muddies the water. It really, you know, it's unfortunate that, that instead of going out and being able to evaluate data, evaluate evidence, the first thing I have to do is to assess it and evaluate whether it's legitimate or whether it's hoaxed and, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's bothersome. <laughs> how, how many uh, Bigfoots would, would you say there is in North America? If you yeah, had to give a like question. a, if you that's have, a like, great a, question. You got to give like XG a crazy on estimate fire today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, uh, the, the number I'm, I'm rather conservative in that estimate in, in all of North America, as you put it, I would limit it to just a couple of thousand, maybe 3000. Um, you know, in my state of Idaho, which has more 
wilderness than any of the other lower 48. You know, I put the number at about 200, 200 to 300. In your state alone? Yes. Wow. Now, to put that in perspective, in Idaho, it's estimated there are 25 to 35,000 black bear. So a hundredfold more black bear. Now, now you just think about it, and that's a useful concept because you think about how difficult it is to find evidence of black bear in the wild. Uh, you know, it's a challenge. They're, they're pretty elusive. They're, they call them the ghost bears here in, in uh, uh, you know, or shadows of the forest, that is one of the nicknames. There's a book by that, that name uh, about bear biology in Idaho. Um, you know, unless you, if you're a hunter, unless you have hounds or you are able to bait the bears, they would be a really challenging quarry to hunt down. So take that a hundredfold and, and uh, uh, transpose that to a Sasquatch, which has the intelligence of a, of a primate, a grade ape at least, if not more, much more than a bear, and are uh, much more far-ranging or bipedal and so forth. It's not that surprising. It's really not that surprising that, that they have remained so elusive and they're so difficult to, to encounter. You know, most of the credible encounters are purely by happenstance. They're just by chance, by random chance. Any um, chance we found, like, remains, like bones, like, let's say, a Bigfoot died in the forest and luckily around that time a hunter came through and they're like, whether it's the actual flesh on the bone or the remains of a, a skeleton, has has there ever been any skeleton skeleton remains? They say they bury themselves. They bury themselves. You like well, uh, like yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's been suggested that they bury their dead. Yeah. Um, that's a little hard to to rationalize if they are as solitary and singular and you know in their movements and habits. I mean, I guess it's possible if one gets sick, he he calls out or she calls out for for some assistance. But um, I think it's just it's just the rarity. When again, go back to the bear example. M- one of my colleagues, Dr. Grover Krantz, an anthropologist at Washington State, used to make the habit when he was speaking in public of asking people, "How many of you have ever found the scale or the uh, excuse me skeleton or skull even?" of a bear in the wild that had died a natural death or that was, uh, um, uh, yeah, that died a natural death that wasn't shot by a hunter or killed by a road kill, as road kill. And in, you know, in decades of asking that, he, he got almost no positive responses. Well, why is that? Well, because top predators, when they get old and decrepit, they secrete themselves off to some nook or cranny to die. And uh, and they're quickly disposed of. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, one of my friends was from uh, Wisconsin and he he checked with their Department of Natural Resources and they estimated about 10,000 deer died every winter of winter kill. 10,000 deer. And yet you go out hiking uh, and, and, and then similar numbers are probably true throughout the Intermountain West and uh, and so forth. If you go out hiking, you don't stumble over all these remains of the thousands and thousands of deer. Because they get chewed up, you know, decomposed, they get uh, dissolved by the acidic soil and so forth. It's just the way nature takes care of things, cleans up after itself. So, you know, a hundredfold more, uh, well, thousandfold more deer, a hundredfold more bear, 
of Sasquatch, when this Sasquatch finally dies, probably lives much longer than a bear or certainly than a deer, uh, what are the odds of finding those remains? But unfortunately, we haven't found anything. You know, Eventually, I think somebody's going to crawl into a cave or a den and uh, find a bone that way. But... Uh, so I see that your book, uh, the cover has been endorsed by Jane Goodall. How did that all occur? How did that happen? Yeah. Well, I, uh, she, by chance, she happened to have uh, uh, had an interview on NPR. And uh, a caller got past the screeners and asked her a question about, uh, about Sasquatch. And she's quite fascinated by the question, has talked to a lot of Native Americans, as well as other other witnesses. And so I figured, uh, hey, I'll give it a shot. And I sent uh, the manuscript copy to her. Uh, it got to her, and she had a chance to read it. And she was gracious enough to offer uh, an endorsement. And it's been, you know, it's been fantastic. I had a chance to go and to hear her speak at Humboldt University, Humboldt State University, and uh, and had a chance to, to visit with her briefly. So I have a copy of my book with her signature across the front in silver Sharpie right above her endorsement. Oh, that's you know, it, awesome. It was. It really, really was gratifying because, uh, you know, she doesn't endorse the existence of Sasquatch, but she endorses the pursuit of the question of whether Sasquatch exists or not. And that, and that was fantastic, yeah. Amongst your peers... How, how is this subject perceived? Right. Well, it spans the, uh, the entire gambit, as you might expect, I guess. You know, uh, scientists are a community of people with their own opinions and biases and prejudices. And so I have colleagues who are absolutely uh, enthralled and curious and, and inquisitive about it. And then on the opposite extreme, there are those that are just... Uh, that have a visceral, irrational rejection of it, outright just, you know, this pushback that you were describing uh, so aptly. Um, and so, and that, whether we're, we're looking at the department here that I work in or my, my university community or the entire discipline, you know, uh, and scientific community at large, that same spectrum of reaction um, has, uh, uh, you know, is, is in effect. How uh, how important within our, our we're we're in the conspiracy realm uh, I call it spiritual skepticism of the official narrative we like to investigate the lifeblood of this genre that we live in is amateurs doing uh, just research for the love of just knowledge and. How important is that into your world, into Bigfoot? And how, if someone wanted to get involved, how could they do it? Well, it's, it's very much so. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm a strong advocate of what, what is sometimes called citizen science. That, Ooh, I uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was one of the motivations. I actually I wrote a, a field guide, and uh, the intent of the field guide was to provide some of that how-to information. How do I discriminate between a Sasquatch footprint and a bear track, for example, or how do I make a footprint cast? How do I document that or collect that hair? What do I do with that scat, etc.? And, uh, you know, it's, it's important. As, as I said, most encounters are uh, by happenstance. They're, they're by chance. 
So the prospects of me going out in the field and in ten, well, I mean, look at my track record. I've been out there for 22 years and I have maybe a half dozen footprint finds and I've heard a few vocalizations. I may have bumped into, I mean, figuratively bumped into one, had, had something brush against my tent or, um, or approached camp just outside of the campfire. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What was that I, like? That would be it, thrilling. It was exciting. It was, it was, and they, those, those have been kind of bookends. The one, uh, brushing against the tent was on one of the first expeditions I was on. And, you know, that was corroborated by 16 inch footprints. Whoa. The other was much more recently where we caught a glimpse of, of something. Uh, <laughs> we caught a glimpse of something. I think we're just about out of time. Yeah. I'm yeah. afraid that's well. my next interview. Okay. Uh, me. I just want to but, end on this. Where, where do you go? When is enough is enough? I mean, you're like the Dan Marino of Bigfoot. He went to the Super Bowl his rookie year, and now it's been a while later. And you thought probably the first time you went out, you got real close. You thought this was going to happen all the time. And now over 22 years, I don't know if you've gotten so close like you yeah. did before. When's enough's enough? When, or what's it going to well, take to go to the I, next level? What's your thoughts? I've had, I've had enough ongoing affirmative experiences. I mean, there's been a lot of frustration intermingled. But enough affirmative uh, experience and affirmative data, uh, the footprint evidence, and there, there still remain things to be done that until we have a definitive, you know, it's hard to prove something doesn't exist. So that question will continue to linger. So it's, it's, it's a matter of, of, uh, of applying more sophisticated technologies like aerial survey, thermal imaging. I'm very excited now about a project we're starting to, to formulate where we're going to do a systematic e-DNA, environmental DNA survey, where you can take a water sample, say, from a pond in the forest or a soil sample from a nest or a cave and look at all the DNA that's been contributed by various uh, animals. Interesting. That's interesting. Well, the future sounds bright and sounds like you're a busy man. A lot of people want to know about the Bigfoot. And uh, Dr. Meldrum, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'd love to do it again down the line and uh, see sure. if anything else has popped up or any other subjects you want to talk about. Uh, is there anywhere you want our listeners to go check out of yours? A website, uh, um, a books, whatever you want. Give well, us a quick pitch. Sure. The Books and Field Guide. The book Sasquatch Legend Meets Science is probably the best primer to get started for anyone that's interested in this subject. If you want some of the latest, greatest contributions from various investigators, uh, academic discussion, um, the Relic Hominoid Inquiry, the RHI, and just www.isu.edu slash RHI will take you there. All right, Matt. Well, you're a busy man. People want to know about the Bigfoot, so we appreciate the time you uh, stayed with us and was able to uh, enlighten our listeners on the whole thing. It's fascinated. I love. I think the world's a lot more complicated than everybody believes, and I'd much rather believe in that it exists than just shoot it down because I'm scared of changing it up, and I appreciate you. Go uh, Idaho State. Uh, in whatever tournament you guys are trying to win. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful week. So enjoy all the episodes, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you. So long.